Welcome to the Who's on the Move SC podcast. I am your host, Alan Cooper. In this podcast, we highlight people making an impact in our communities across the state of South Carolina. This episode is part of our Nonprofit Minute series and is made possible with the support of the Sisters of Charity Foundation of South Carolina and NP Strategy. Did you know that food security in the United States was improving prior to the pandemic? That trend, unfortunately, has been reversed. Today we are going to be speaking with Nick Osborne, the President and CEO of the Low Country Food Bank. Nick has been at the helm of the food bank since December 2020. He came to the organization with more than 30 years of professional experience as a leader in international development and humanitarian operations within the nonprofit sector. Nick, talk about your journey to the Low Country Food Bank. My journey has been long, I guess, to the food bank, but uh, my experience, this is my first experience of working in food bank context. And I've spent a, a professional career working in international development. I actually started off in international development uh, when I left the UK some 30 years ago to become a volunteer uh, in Zambia. Um, that was at a point in time where I felt that it was a mission or a calling, if you like, that uh, I wanted to experience the opportunity of volunteering in a context that was severely impacted by poverty and also by, by the nature of poverty, food insecurity as well. So um, I joined the British Volunteer Service, went out to Zambia as a volunteer. The intent was to do that for two years, uh, come back and relive my life again. Nick, as a young man, what was your motivation for going to Africa? One of the reasons for doing that uh, was that I didn't want to get to a later stage in my life and really regret having had the opportunity. As it would happen, after two years, I realized that I loved it. Um, so I worked in a rural community in, in the Copper Belt of, of Zambia. Uh, and this was predominantly looking at addressing issues of food insecurity for um, rural communities that, that were previously um, far, but that were previously employees of the copper mines and had uh, migrated back into the rural areas. I ended up spending um, a total of six years working on that project. And I guess in many senses, that was, I learned a tremendous amount from, from those six years. First of all, when I first went to Zambia, I went in this context where I was coming as an, as an outsider, even though as a volunteer, but working on a project where we as outsiders supposedly had all the answers for people, that we had the answers for communities in terms of how we were gonna solve their problems of hunger and food insecurity. In the last two years on that project, we switched the project completely from one of where we provided all of the answers to one where we said, well, let's just sit down and listen to communities. Let's see what communities thought were their problems. Let have, let's have them identify their problems and tell us what their problems were, but most importantly, tell us what they thought were the solutions. And therefore, how could we then work with, in partnership with communities, to try and um, realize and, and, and make real those, those solutions? And it was taking what was at that point in time, back in the uh, sort of late 80s, referred to as participatory planning, participatory approach. Um, and probably in the last two years of being on this project for six years, we achieved so much more in those last two years than we had the previous um, four years. Uh, and we were creating systems of sustainability as well. We weren't creating 
dependency on outsiders to come in and, and, and solve all of, all of their problems. After that six years of working in a rural community, I then moved into um, working in an urban setting, still in Zambia, looking at urban poverty. Um, and again, using the same approaches, albeit in a different context of working with urban communities to identify what problems that they, they felt they had and what did they see as potential solutions. And therefore, how do we facilitate and partner with communities to, to make those solutions become real. And it was really about having communities in the lead, um, creating community institutions, creating community leadership, and the ability to, to be able to, um, to respond to, to those needs. I then moved to Malawi, uh, and this was a, a whole new experience for me because it was, was going into Malawi and setting up a whole new program in, in, a, in a country. So, um, and again, setting up a program in Malawi uh, originated from going in, sitting down with communities and understanding more about the context, the culture and the problems that communities were facing and working with them to identify solutions and therefore building our programs around how we could support solutions that communities had identified. Ended up staying there for six years. So I was in Africa for a total of about 15, well, was probably, uh, what was it, close to 16 years. And to be honest, I actually got, I was getting fed up with being in Africa. I got tired, largely because after 16 years of, of working in that context, you had people coming into that context and thinking they had all the solutions and proposing all the solutions. And I knew after 16 years, that's been tried before. And I can tell you now, it is not going to work. So I was quite jaded and, and tired of, 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 of that. Um, and then had the opportunity to go and work in, uh, in Sri Lanka. This was after the Asian tsunami. Um, so this was back in 2000, uh, what was that, 2004, 2005. Um, so shortly after the Asian tsunami, um, moved to Sri Lanka, totally different context, to help um, to run the country program in Sri Lanka to help rebuild livelihoods of those that had been impacted by um, the tsunami. But alongside a country program that had already been operating for many years to look at improving the lives and livelihoods of the poor Sri Lankans, whether that be in the plantation context or whether that be in the coastal communities, the coastal fishing communities. On top of that, that was responding to all of that in the, in the midst of an ethnic conflict as well. Um, so that was probably in, in my career, that was probably the most challenging and difficult four years of my life. Because um, you were working in a context of, of responding to communities that had been impacted by a tsunami, they'd lost everything in the space of 10 minutes. And therefore, they were having the opportunity to um, have access to new homes, new houses, new livelihood sources alongside communities that had lost everything over a period of 25 years because of uh, because of the ethnic conflict. So there was the inequity that, that was created by by that response. And that was incredibly challenging. Also, in a time where you, you had a government that was very much um, anti nonprofits, not NGOs. And so it was a very difficult working context. Anyway, after four, after four years there, um, this is sort of around about 2010, I had the opportunity to move into a regional position. Um, in Asia. So I, I took a regional director's position um, and that allowed me the opportunity to work across a variety of different contexts in Asia. So ranging from Afghanistan, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Nepal, 
still Sri Lanka, the Philippines, India, um, and again, focusing on issues of poverty um, and looking at um, strengthening and building livelihoods to be able to become resilient and respond to um, the issues that, that were being faced. A lot of that was, was based on, again, throughout my career, food, in, food security was very much a, a, a key point of that. So how did you end up in the United States? After that, I, I, that's what then brought me to, to the US. I, I was then um, had a, the opportunity to move into a global role for the same organization, but based out of Atlanta. Uh, so I then took up a, the global role of overseeing all of the program operations for the organization, which again, expanded my coverage in that moving from Asia to now covering the whole of Africa, the Middle East and Latin America as well. Um, so again, a whole variety of, of different contexts, whether that was the conflict in the Middle East with, with Syria, um, to what was going on in, in Latin America with Venezuela and Colombia, the whole challenges with, with, with the, uh, in East Africa, in, in Somalia, um, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, DRC, um, and still, of course, in, in Asia as well. So after being with this, this organi the organization for 25 years and being in a global position, um, which was great, I got to travel to many different parts of the world, see many different things, experience so many different things, you sort of realize that you've got to the point in your career where a lot of what you deal with on a day-to-day -day basis is more, is more based on the politics of the organization rather than the work of the organization. So I felt I was at a point in time in my career where I really wanted to, in many senses, come full circle back, if you like, to where I'd started off to feel more connected with the communities that, that, that I was serving, to feel that at the end of the day, I could go home and feel that I had had an impact on those lives and livelihoods of, of the communities that I, I worked with. So hence the opportunity of, of, of coming and working at the food bank being able to work in an organization that had has a has a clear mandate a clear mission but one that that at the end of the day you can see the work that we do here as having an impact on improving the lives of, of those that are suffering from hunger and food insecurity but also an opportunity to say well how can i take those years of experience working in international develop development and transition that and transfer that into the context here in um, South Carolina and apply some of that, that experience, sort of meld it and hybrid it with, 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 with what's already being done here to be able to achieve greater impact. Nick, I am interested to hear your perspective on food insecurity in the United States and in the Charleston region. First of all, I would say coming here to this context, I was actually to be honest with you, really surprised at the, the, the levels of, of, of hunger and food insecurity that exists here in the United States. I mean, I, I think there is a there is a sense that, uh, especially when you work in international development, um, that hunger and food insecurity exists in those contexts, but not in a context like the United States. So coming here to, to South Carolina and to see that probably around about 11% of the population in the area that we serve um, are food insecure and facing hunger. And that 15% of the children across the 10 counties where, where we work suffer from hunger is really, to me, quite astounding and, and actually is, is really something that um, should not be the case and something I think um, is, is, is unacceptable.
Um, and I think in my mind, everyone has the right to food security and the right to food. So, um, so coming here and understanding that was something that was really quite a, a shock to me. But then at the same time, I think it also then highlights the importance of a role like the Low Country Food Bank um, in terms of being able to address that, that, particular, that particular issue. Um, so here in the Low Country Food Bank, we have a variety of different programs that, that, that address this. Our programs are focused on um, children, seniors, veterans, but also communities more generally as well. And also, I, I arrived here at the Low Country Food Bank at a point in time when we're in the midst of a pandemic as well. And that, that only highlighted and highlighted the, the, the issues of hunger and food insecurity even more. Um, which also meant that as a food bank, we had to be very adaptable to some of the ways in which we programmed in the past to the ways in which we had to program during the context of a pandemic. Um, so a lot of our programs uh, in terms of supporting those that were hungry and food insecure meant that we had to adapt the programs to allow um, the, the distribution of food, uh, drive-through distributions. Um, whereas before it was very much more focused on, on client choice. So in the programs that we, we implement now, we implement, as I said, we, we, a range of, of programs that, that address issues of child hunger. So working very closely with, uh, with schools um, and we have a variety of different programs with schools, whether that be in terms of uh, focusing on um, school markets, school pantries, um, we provide different nutritional educational approaches to schools to enable the building of the capacity and the understanding of the importance of nutrition. Um, but it, again, providing access to, to, to food, Backpack Buddies, which is a, a program whereby children can take home um, uh, a bag of food that enables them to, to have access to food during the, the, the weekend. So a variety of different school programs. Um, obviously, our senior programs, we have a, a full production kitchen here as well. So we're providing cooked meals to support um, seniors um, and with a lot of focus on the nutritional content of those meals that are being provided as well. Um, it, it's one thing to provide a meal, but it needs to have the right nutritional content, but also being very particular and very focused on even what a meal looks like as well. Um, just the, the nature of the colors that go into making a meal as well to make it attractive. And similarly for our, our senior programs as well. Um, what I will say is that, that we as a food bank um, are obviously lo we're located in three, three places in Charleston, Myrtle Beach, and down in the south in the embassy, which enable us to have three um, food centers to support the 10 counties where we work. But I think one of the most important elements of our work is our working through the partner agencies that we have. So we have a network of around about 255 partner agencies that are spread across the 10 counties where we work. We could not do the work that we do without the relationship and the partnerships that we have with, with our partner agencies or so our partner food pantries. Those partner food pantries um, actually distribute probably close to 90% of all the food that gets distributed. Um, so without them, we would not be able to reach the communities um, that need serving. Yeah, so, so our partner agents are critical to, to the work that we do. And of course, those partner agencies um, provide a range of services to communities as well. Partner agencies, there are those partner agencies 
that um, provide more than just food as well. They also provide other essential services, whether that be access to information related to where community members can access other forms of benefits, um, whether that be health, education, employment, um, but also they provide a focus for, for the communities in terms of, of where communities know that they can go to get support and, and be, uh, be supported. So our partner agencies are critical in the work that we do. And in my mind, uh, in our mind here at the Low Country Food Bank, our partner agencies are critical to any form of ways that we need to evolve and work and support communities in the future as well. And that brings back some of what I was talking about earlier in terms of the more participatory thinking about the ways that we work. Um, because we, we as a food bank um, are here to serve those partner agencies. Those partner agencies are embedded in communities that have the knowledge and the experience and also have the respect of communities. So therefore, our role is really to work in partnership with those partner agencies to build their capacity to look at ways and means in which they can expand their services um, do they need access to new forms or different forms of investment, or whether that be refrigeration or whether that be um, certain skills that enable them to uh, better service their, their, their neighbours and clients? So that relationship we have with partners is critical for, for both now, but also moving into the future as well. And how do we evolve different models uh, and ways of working with those partners in the future as well. And that, that is one of our priorities for the future. What are your goals for the organization? I think defining success is, is no different to how I've sought to define success throughout my career. And, and, and it is about how do we ultimately put ourselves out of business? We should not be creating um, an organization that, that just creates further dependency, that creates creates a dependency from those that need support. So we have to look at ways in which we need to put ourselves out of business. Now, as we all know, that's not going to happen overnight. So I do think, um, and my vision for the future is ways in which we can start to see that reduction in food insecurity um, in the years ahead. I think we need to be setting audacious targets uh, for, the, for, the, for the time ahead. Um, for example, before the pandemic, we were actually seeing a trend whereby food insecurity or food security was improving. Um, the pandemic has been a major um, has been a major challenge in terms of reversing that trend. So, in the next five years, I would like to see that the food the levels of food insecurity drop by twenty five percent across our service area. That, for me, is 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 a goal, and I think it's obtainable as well. But it's obtainable in a way that not just something that we as an organization in isolation are going to be able to achieve. The only way we can achieve that is through our ability to work with other stakeholders, other partners, so that we can pull the resources that we each have together to work in a more coordinated manner to enable the, the value add to be felt. And again, I come back to the point of the importance of our, our partner agencies that exist, because ultimately, at the end of the day, they are the, the organizations that are going to serve communities in the future and to be able to provide an expanded level of services. I think another other areas that are really important is the use of data. Um, I think it's something that, that hasn't been uh, fully utilized to the fullest of its potential. So we've been investing over the last year significantly into, into the use of GIS mapping. Uh, which has enabled us to be able to get a much more comprehensive picture 
of, of where service is provided and where the gaps are as well. We're able to overlay elements of uh, metrics that impact people's lives, whether that be uh, food insecurity, whether it be life expectancy, and we can start to identify where do we need to respond in appropriate ways to suit different needs in different locations? So it's not a one size fits all. We're able to tailor the programs that we do to best target uh, the needs of a particular community and ways in which we can work with others to add value to what others are doing as well. I think innovation. Uh, innovation is, is another area of focus in terms of what are some of the innovative approaches to ways in which we can tackle and address hunger and food insecurity. So for example, over the last year, we've been piloting the use of refrigerated uh, containers um, in the southern part of, uh, of our operating uh, area, which by having a refrigerated container that is located with a partner agency, allows a partner agency to uh, be able to hold uh, fresh produce and perishable produce for longer periods of time. So rather than having to distribute that produce the day that it's received, it can be held for a longer period of time, which gives greater flexibility, which means that there's greater ability to target communities more effectively and provide service over a longer period of time. And Nick, to wrap up, tell us a little about you personally and what is important to you outside of work. A lot of my professional career has has also been very much leading what I sort of personally do as well. I think uh, coming to the Charleston area, I would say it, it, it's a true pleasure to be in, in this Charleston area. I mean, I think it's an absolutely amazing uh, location to be. I think Charleston has so much to offer. I think there's, there's so much diversity across the areas where we work. Um, it's interesting for me to see how the landscape is changing a lot as well in terms of the influx of of, of people into this area as well. But at the same time, the culture that exists here and uh, the history that exists here as well is something that, that I find incredibly uh, attractive and rewarding. And I spend a lot of time um, trying to soak as much of that up as possible. Um, and obviously in, in enjoying what Charleston has, I really enjoy the history that Charleston has and being able to uh, sort of absorb that as much as possible. Um, but I, I, I do think that, um, again, personally and professionally, being able to, to live and work in a context where ideally we, we will see change in a positive way and communities being able to um, live lives better today, better tomorrow than they are today is something that, that, that is, very, is very precious and very personal to me.